Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. We're on week one of a new series on wisdom. Everyone say wisdom. And so if God were to grant you or to tell you, hey, you could have one thing, you could have one wish to be granted for you, what would that be? Would you want a new body? Would you want to win the lottery? Would you want a Chick-fil-A and Cabot somebody instead of just a food truck? By the way, the food truck's not coming back, so we're back. Yeah, I'm a bear of bad news today. Uh, would you want uh, a new car? Would you want a new house? Please, Lord, could the Razorbacks win a championship outside of track? Like, that would be my one wish, right? So one guy in the Bible named Solomon, he got the opportunity uh, to have this request from God asked. And so God had been looking at Solomon's life and said, hey, you can have one thing. What is it that you want? And Solomon said, I want wisdom. And God said, look, just because you asked for that, I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you so much more. And Solomon became the wisest man uh, who had ever lived. And much of the wisdom books in the Bible, like the book of Proverbs, were wrote by Solomon or written by Solomon. And we're going to look at that for the next few weeks in the series that we're in. So let's check out this first verse. If you have your Bible with you or the Bible app, we're going to be in Proverbs almost the whole day. So you can flip there. In Proverbs chapter 4, it says this in verse 7. It says that getting wisdom is the most important thing that you can do. The Bible says that. That's probably pretty important. Getting wisdom is the most important thing that you can do. Whatever else you get, get insight. Love wisdom and she will make you great. And so let's start with this question, what is wisdom? Well, biblical wisdom is a God-graced ability to make the Bible functional. Biblical wisdom is a God-graced ability to make the Bible functional in our lives. And so we know that knowledge is in our head, but wisdom takes what's in our head and puts it in our hands and in our feet. You see, There's a Lord that wants us to be able to discern what he wants us to do and then actually do what he is asking us to do. And then everyone say fool. Everyone say fool. Let's try that again. Okay, a biblical fool is someone who makes life decisions from his or or her own natural perspective. And so you might have heard this before, like, hey, just follow your heart. Like, it's like a Hallmark card, or maybe you would see it in a Hallmark movie. Hey, just follow your heart, whatever makes you happy. You do you, boo-boo. But Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a person, to a man, to a woman, but it ends in death. Some people might say it this way, well, I just go with my natural instincts. If it feels natural, then that's just what I go with. Let me tell you what else is natural. Uh, There is uh, snake venom, there is anthrax, there's arsenic. Natural doesn't always make it good. Brussels sprouts, poison ivy, cow poop, quinoa or quinoa, however you pronounce it, mosquitoes in the Arkansas summer. Just because it's natural does not mean that it's good. Look, a lack of wisdom will take our lives down a really long road without road signs. Listening to Achy Breaky Heart by Billy Ray Cyrus on the radio. And you end up miles away from where you intended in your life. And odds are you're going to end up miles away from where God intended you to be in your life as well. And so a lack of wisdom is not good. 
I'm gonna tell you a story about a lack of wisdom, some of my friends. And so our senior year in high school, we want to do a prank like all seniors do. And uh, our grand idea was to have a food fight. And so I went to Jacksonville. That's about as great as we can come up with was a food fight on our last day of school. We had two lunches and did a food fight at both lunches. And the, it was like 20 minutes long. Like it wasn't like 90 seconds and it was over. They had to call police like to stop the food fight. So it was pretty cool. Um, but we knew that it was going to happen. So we had packed our bags full of things a couple of days before and had some stuff marinating, you could say. Um, and so this food fight, I literally still in my mind have a screenshot of turning over my right shoulder and looking at the first real food fight in my life. And it was amazing. There was chili cheese fries, there was slushies and lemonades just flying everywhere. The teachers, the administrators, security guards are trying to break it up and they could not. And it was awesome. However, as they began to quell down the rebellion, um, I saw they were checking backpacks and I had some sardines and tuna and other stuff in my bag I did not want to get caught with because I was a good kid, right? And so I had the wisdom uh, to go to the bathroom to leave it in there. Little did I know some of the people that I wasn't too fond of were also in the bathroom. And so I gave my stuff to them and said, hey, I'm done. Don't want to get in trouble, yada, yada. As I'm walking out of the bathroom empty-handed, just have my backpack, security guards walk in. I nailed it. Like, I had the wisdom in that moment. It went from knowledge in my head, they're checking backpacks, to my hands, and I passed it off to them. They got in trouble. I didn't. Everyone give me a round of applause for nailing that one. So Solomon is writing all of this. He doesn't want his son to be a fool. How many of you, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you don't want your kids or grandkids to be fools, right? I promise you it's not too late. It's, it's okay. We can pray for them. We might after service. Proverbs chapter 3 says this. It says that she is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with hers, referring to wisdom. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Says that she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, those who hold her fast will be blessed. So, wisdom in Proverbs is always referring to a woman, which I kind of find offensive. And so, I'm gonna ask God to cancel the book of Proverbs. Uh, I'm tired of it. Just kidding. Uh, so, today we're talking about how in the book of Proverbs, wisdom gives us a plan for our families. Everyone say family or your future family. And so if you and I can get this today, it's gonna to help us immensely. And so Solomon teaches us there's three areas or spheres of influences that will move our kids and grandkids into the path of wisdom, or it's gonna move them into the path of foolishness. And so if you're taking notes, which I suggest, uh, area number one is the home. Everyone say home. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. And so this is where wisdom starts in our kids and grandkids. It starts in the home. And so for the first however many years that you have your kids, whether it's 18 or 28 or they never move out, you have the honor and the privilege of being the primary influencer in your kid's life. So this is a weight to an extent, but it's also a huge blessing that you are the one that gets to pour wisdom into your kids because when they become a teenager, you're gonna lose influence with them unless they need gas money or food money or insurance money or something like that. You're gonna lose influence with your kids and parents, I want you to know that our kids are in training. Maybe your kids are hitting 200 baseballs or softballs a day. Maybe they're in a summer reading program or they're in a club, they're in drama or dance or gymnastics. 
the most important training that our kids can be in is wisdom training. And so we have a window of time to teach them about God and the principles that are in the Bible and that are in his word. And look, the church is always going to be here to help. The church is always here to help, but it is your job to teach your kids about God. You can think about it this way. The church is the paint on the walls, but the parents and the grandparents are the ones who build the structure of the home. So they need to learn about giving. They need to learn about wisdom. They need to learn about serving and loving and all the principles that are in the Bible. Because if we don't teach this them, we don't teach them this. As a student pastor, I've seen that if we don't teach our kids these types of principles, there is a culture and an enemy that will teach them theirs instead. And so, transition, and let's suppose that you and I went to breakfast tomorrow morning, all right? And you're in line, and you order your uh, super green kale smoothie, no sugar, extra protein because you're weird. And I pull out, like, this whole pack of Hostess donuts and a 20-ounce Mountain Dew and a Red Bull, and I, like, down that in a few minutes. And then after I do that, I kind of top it off with a pack of Pop-Tarts and a Snickers and a Coke. If I always ate like that, which sounds good, by the way, If I always ate like that, odds are my body is not going to make it much longer, right? Can we agree on that? The thing is, is as leaders of the home, sometimes that's what our input into our soul and spirit looks like. So what we input as leaders of the home, it it affects what happens in our home. And so as parents, whether it's our intake on social media or it's the shows that we watch, or it's the work emails, or it's the politics, whether you're left or right or you don't care, or whether it's the drama in life, or whether it's the music that we input and that we intake, we intake all of this into our soul and into our spirit. But then we still have this responsibility of teaching our kids wisdom and how to live a life that's based off the principles that are in the Bible. Look, the best input that I can give my family is my quiet time alone in my office with coffee on the table, in God's word, in his presence, and hearing what he has for us as a family. I'm learning over and over and over that I cannot give my wife, I can't give my kids and the people around me what's in the word of God if I'm not in the word of God myself. Look, my Bible, as cliche as it is, as being a pastor, whatever, shut up. Um, it is the most important possession, prized possession in my life. Like I told some high school students, our interns a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, um, that if our house was burning down and I could grab one thing out of our home, this was going to be what I grabbed. One of the smart alecks in the back, the youth group said, what about your kids? <laughs> I said, shut up, you can go to church somewhere else. And so they don't go to church here anymore. But in here, I have all of them now, all of my notes from the messages that I've spoken, devotionals that I've taught, the verses that I've tried to memorize. I have so many things in here that one day I wanna be able to pass this off to one of my kids. I wanna hand them this Bible. So do you think that I would sell this for $100? No. You think I would sell it for $1,000? What about $100,000? Yes, I'm not an idiot, okay? There is wisdom. (laughs) The greatest gift that you can give your kids is the principles that are in God's word being in your home. It would be a travesty for me as a parent, not as a pastor, for the day that I hand this Bible over to my kids be the first time they experience what's in here. One simple way with you and your family to get into God's word is to read the verse of the day, either every morning or every night. Just have a small conversation about it. 
We do that with our kids almost every night. And look, if we don't, our kids throw a fit. I don't know how that worked, but it happened. Prayer works. Just read the verse of the day with your family every single day. Look, we as parents have the honor and the privilege of teaching our kids wisdom and the principles of God's word in our home, but in the window that we have with them right now. Area number two is friends. Everyone say friends. So again, as a student pastor, I've seen this, and I hate to bust or burst your bubble as a parent, but there will be a day where you lose influence with your kids and some snotty-nosed, non-deodorant-wearing teenager is gonna have more influence over your kids than you will. It is unavoidable. And so there's one subject that we teach in real life, our high school ministry, over and over and over again, and that is for our students to learn how to choose their friends wisely. How to choose their friends wisely. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, it says this. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for innocent blood. By the way, if your kids have friends saying that, call somebody, call the police. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder, cast lots with us. We will share the loot. And then Solomon, he interjects and said, my son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths for their feet rush in to evil. Look, we've all heard it said that hurt people hurt people. Foolish friends make foolish friends. The word says that bad company corrupts good character. So look, friends will determine the quality and direction of your kids or your grandkids' life. There was a lady that came to one of our pastors one time and said, hey, can you pray for my son's future? He's about to graduate. Just want his future to be well. Pastor said, I would love to. So the pastor and then prayed. He prayed over the kid's friends. That's all he prayed for. In Jesus' name, amen. The lady was like, hey, I love that. Thank you so much. But I, can you pray for my son's future? And the pastor said, I just did. When we talk on friends on Wednesdays, we had mentioned this actually this past week, is that we're all chameleons. Whether you're 88 or you're eight, we're all chameleons to an extent that we adapt and we shift to the, the um, objects that are in our environment. And that especially includes our friends. Look, what I know is this, is that it's exponentially harder to make bad choices surrounded by the right people. And the same is for my kids. Look, if your kids or your grandkids are around the age of 10 to 12 or they're teenagers, there's some things that you can teach them right now on how to make good friends. And this is what we teach all the time in real life. And so I wanna kind of put this out there for you. Number one is they need to have a friend that is in front of them challenging them. So what this looks like is they have a friend in the next season of life who is helping them in their blind spots, helping them in their weak areas and calling out the potential and the good in them so they can reach their full potential. So having someone in front of them. The next thing we teach them is have someone behind you. They need to be growing as a leader. They need to be challenging someone behind them in a loving and a graceful way, calling out their blind spots and their weak spots as a friend to help them to reach their potential. And then lastly is to have someone right there by their side through every challenge. How many of y'all know through the hard times, you have to have people right there by your side. And so we teach them have someone in front of you, have someone behind you and have someone beside you in all seasons of your life. So that's for teenagers. If you have a kid younger than that, good luck. You know, like that's where we're at right now. No, but really you can teach them principles 
that are in the Word of God, all based off their age and off of their vocabulary. So if they're two or if they're nine, change it based on their age. And so if you have a kid at school who is being mean to your kid and is bullying them or hitting them, principles in the Bible, it's an eye for an eye. It's a two for a tooth, baby. You know, like, just joking. But look, teaching principles, like don't steal from your friends. Be kind to them. Use kind words. When they're hurt, pray for them. When they're sick, pray for them. When they're not being kind, trust that God is going to make things all right. Make these things practical by putting them into your kid's vocabulary. I learned this two years ago in some research, and this blew my mind. In the 1960s, research showed the greatest influence on a teen, number one in the 60s, was their parent, number two was their teachers, and number three was their spiritual leaders. Parents, teachers, spiritual leaders. Around 2018 or 2019, the same research was done for teenagers. The number one influencer for a teenager in our culture is their friends, period. That's important for a parent to know. By the way, spiritual leaders are now 17th on the list. So, again, it is your role as their parent to raise them up. But they have to be able to choose their friends wisely because they're going to be the major influencers in their life. And so what happens in the home and what happens with their friends is either going to live or it's going to lead our kids and grandkids either to wisdom or to foolishness. I'm trying to mix up which side I say foolish and wisdom to. That way you don't feel like you're the foolish side or you don't feel like it. Area number three, sphere number three is the world. Proverbs 1, 20 and 21 says, Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square, and on top of the wall she cries out. At the city gate she makes her speech. And so wisdom is calling out, hey, we all need God. But foolishness, it also calls out with some things that are in our world today, like I mentioned earlier, social media, YouTube, Netflix, Hulu, music, celebrities and influencers. And look, not all of these things, all of these people are inherently bad. But when it comes to these platforms, our kids are going to take an avenue either one way or another. And So let's discuss those just for a second. So with these platforms, the first way is the way of the fool. And your child is going to be reactionary. They're going to do what is always trendy. They're going to follow who is always popular. They're going to say what is always um, the most popular saying. They're going to watch what's always popular on Netflix, Netflix, no matter the rating, no matter the content. They're going to watch it because it's a popular thing to do. Number two is they're going to be engaged and enticed. Look, they're going to do whatever looks, feels, and appears to be good, no matter where it comes from. And then number three, and I see this all the time with high schoolers, is that they're prideful. They think these platforms do not influence their choices or their behaviors or their mindsets. And look, even as adults, that is a lie from the enemy. These things do influence us. There's a second way when it comes to these platforms, and that's the way of the wise. The first one with that is they walk with the wise. They are selective in who they follow. They are selective in what they watch. They are selective in what music they let come into their body. Number two is they're tuned in. They can discern the lies and the truth that is right in front of them. They can tell the difference in what is good and what is God. And the number three is that they're teachable. These platforms that I mentioned, they're used for good. They're used to have fun. They're used to have and to make healthy friendships. They're used to grow and to learn. And so with our kids and grandkids, either they're ready for the world because we've taught them wisdom or they're gonna have to learn a lot through personal failure. And look, a lot of us have been through that 
And honestly, sometimes that is the only way, but wisdom can help them avoid a lot of the mistakes that you and I have made. And look, at age three and four for our kids, I have not always got this right. Just the other night, our three-year-old, we're on like the back end of potty training. Y'all, we are so close in Jesus' name. We're so close. We put him down for bed. His name is Kai, by the way. He is the cutest kid in the history of the world. Um, Put him down for bed. Like half an hour later, he runs out in the living room. Mommy, Daddy, I have to go potty. And it's like, son, the bathroom is that way. Like our kids feel the need to tell us like when they have to go. It's like, just go. And so he went potty. Whatever he did in there, we don't know. Um, He came back in the living room, and y'all, he is all the way in his birthday suit. He is all the way naked. And he's like, Daddy, I can't find my pants. I'm like, son, what do you mean you can't find your pants? He said, I don't know where they're at. And so, like, from the 25 feet from our couch to our bathroom, I'm like, surely I can find this as his parent. Like, I'll find his pants. And so I retrace his steps, trying to find his pants. And I'm looking everywhere. I'm, like, looking underneath the rug in the bathroom, looking, like, in the uh, cabinets. I'm looking, like, behind the toilet. I'm like, Kai, I'm trying to be more patient, trying to be more graceful with my kids. I'm working on it. I said, Kai, what did you do with your pants, man? I put them in the toilet. I was like, what do you mean you put them in the toilet? I looked in the toilet. I was like, Bubby, they're not in there. What do you mean you put them in the toilet? I put them in the toilet. I said, son, are you being serious? Or are you joking? Where are your pants? He said, daddy, I don't know what that means. I said, are you telling daddy the truth or are you lying to daddy? Oh, I'm telling dad the truth. I said, so you put your pants in the toilet. Yes, sir. What'd you do with your pants after that? He said, I flushed them. <laughs> so for the next like three days, I'm like making sure that toilet is operating. Like I didn't know it was possible. Those pants are gone. He put them in the toilet. It flushed. Thank God we got a good toilet, I guess. I don't know. Man, not a wise decision from my kid. I'm not getting it right all the time as a parent. And look, I've made some stupid decisions in our marriage with my kids and my friendships and my relationship with God. And if we're all being honest, we all have probably in most areas of our life. And so the question is, is what's next? Like, if I haven't gotten it right, if I failed in an area, maybe my kids aren't acing it like I want them to, what's next? Well, I didn't go to Bible school, but I learned that every good message has three points. But because today is the 4th of July, today we have four points. And so area number four, Jesus juke, area number four is the fear of the Lord. This is the ultimate area in our lives that moves us either to wisdom or to foolishness is how we address this topic. And look, I wanna disarm this term just for a moment, the word fear. Look, it's not being afraid. It's not being like a sheep. It's not being standoffish. It's not being hesitant. If you understand this, it's like a fire hydrant of wisdom being open to your home. The fear of the Lord is to be in awe of, to chiefly admire, to submit to, to know that he is supreme, to be supremely aware that he is Lord. When I think of this topic, I think about the places that I've traveled to. I've been to Haiti a few times, and y'all, it's a crazy country, uh, but it's also beautiful. On this main road that we would drive into the Mission of Hope, on the right-hand side of the country, there's like these rugged mountains, but in a way, they're kind of beautiful because in contrast, on the left-hand side of the road, there's the coastline and some beautiful water. If you've never been to Haiti, it's like always hot. You wake up sweating, you work sweaty, you go to bed sweaty and repeat it every single day, no matter what you do, you need to have deodorant. But what is deceptive about Haiti is there's this breeze coming off the coastline at almost at all times. And so you might feel that it's not that hot outside, but it is. And there was one time we were in this village, we were praying with this lady 
Um, and we were grouped up as some a handful of leaders and students. We took students to Haiti. That was thank the Lord for his protection. Um, we're praying over this, la- or, yeah, like over this lady at her home, and I felt like this literal weight on my back, like not for the woman, but like on my back. I felt this weight. And as we say amen, I turn around and a student falls off of me and I catch her and she was passed out. Like in the middle of this prayer, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. She passed out right on my back. She was not aware of how hot it was in that moment. And she, the heat took her out, okay? In the Grand Cayman, we went on a cruise there a few years ago, y'all. The water there is absolutely crazy. How crystal clear, like 20 or 30 feet off a boat, you can see all the way to the bottom of the ocean. You could count starfish or fish, like it is beautiful. But we were made aware the stingrays will take you out if you're not aware of them, y'all. And some of these stingrays, like as big as some of y'all's in-laws, they were huge. And so, I shouldn't have said that in church, but y'all, they were, they were massive. And if you weren't looking where you were going, like it's over for you. I'm going to hear from Pastor James on that one. Lake Tahoe. (laughs) Went to Lake Tahoe. I think it was last year, y'all. And I'd never been to a mountainous region in my life, y'all. And it was so beautiful. Just like the mountainside and the trees and the overlooks and just the lake itself. There was this road where I think the literal speed limit was five miles an hour. That's how scary and dangerous it was. I'm surprised we made it to the top of where we were going. My poor mom and I have a little bit of anxiety me is a little, hers a lot. And when we get in cars, and so we made it to the top and we get to this overlook. And there's probably 80 to 100 people, y'all, just overlooking Lake Tahoe and just God's creation. It's almost like jaw dropping, like tear moving because how beautiful it is. And what's crazy is even with 80 to 100 people, there is like almost like this holy hush, people just taking in what they see. But what was crazy is if you take one wrong step on that overlook, trying to take a selfie and you misstep, I hope you have really good life insurance. Like if you take one wrong, like it's a permanent nap if you fall down that overlook. There's a stat out there on the internet somewhere that there are X amount of people every year that die in the Grand Canyon from misstepping trying to take a selfie. In all of these environments, Haiti, Grand Cayman, et cetera, in all of these environments, they require proper Submission and reverence and awe. And I don't think that God's any different. When we're around God, he, he requires the same for us. He is worthy of reverence, submission, admiration, to be in awe of. And look, reverence happens in close proximity. In these places that I went to, like you can see how pretty it is from afar. You can see it in pictures, but it's not until like you get closer and you really realize how beautiful these places are. It's like there's just something different the closer that you get. It's like the closer you get to some things in life, the better it gets, right? I'm also learning that relationship happens in proximity. So reverence happens in proximity and relationship happens in proximity. Look, the closer you get to God, the more that you're gonna understand the fear of the Lord, the more wise you will be and the more wise your friends and your family will be. And look, you'll begin to hear his voice and you'll begin to hear his plan for you and for your life and for your family and for your friends more clearly than ever before. So I'm gonna say this and I want you to hear me out and then I'll be done for the day. Um, 
there is a principle that I'm trying to teach my kids right now. And I'll probably say this at least once a week, if not multiple times a week, especially when they're not paying me any attention. I'll get down on their face and I'm a little dad with it. I'm like, hey, my voice is the most important voice in the entire world. A lot of times I have to say this if there's friends in the room or there's other family members in the room, not like trying to distract them, but distracting them where YouTube is on. My goodness, I'm trying to get their attention. Hey, hey, my words are the most important words in your life. When daddy speaks, you listen to my voice. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. The reason I say this, the reason I'm teaching them this principle is one day I'm gonna give them a Jesus juke is what I call it. And I'm gonna tell them, hey, daddy has not been telling you the truth for a while. Daddy's words are not the most important words in the entire world. My voice is not the most important. And their moms too. I'm number two. God's voice is the most important. God's words are number one. But I'm teaching my kids the principle of listening to their father's voice now that way, as they grow older, they'll know the principle of hearing their heavenly father's voice later. That is my plan for their life. That is my prayer for them. And that's my prayer for you today. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. I've been pondering this thought this week when it comes to proximity and relationship in God's voice. Look, I think the reason it's easier to hear the enemy's voice is because he does not require a relationship from you. But our God, he wants a constant and consistent and ever-growing relationship with you because you're his kid and he loves you. Even more than you love your kids and your family and your grandkids and more than I love my kids, God loves us and he loves you. And it doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what you're gonna do, God is madly in love with you. And this relationship that I'm talking about, y'all, it happens best in close proximity with our Heavenly Father. I believe, and I tell our students this all the time, I believe God wants to talk to you and he wants to talk to you every day. And I believe in faith, he wants to talk to you right now. And so God, right now, I invite you in. Your presence is welcome here. And Holy Spirit, would you begin to speak to the left of me, to the front, the back, to the right of me? what it is that you want your kids to hear today. Maybe it's an encouragement. Maybe it's to remind them of a dream that they had when they were younger. Maybe it's to tell them that, that your grace is real in every season. It's true in every season. It does not fail, just like your word. It does not fail. Look, worship and admiration and reverence and submission, these are things that God cannot give himself. That's what we were created for. He is our protector, our provider, and our savior. But he is also Lord. And because he's Lord, he gets to call the shots. And I want you to know that God's plan for you in your life will always include you reading his word and will always include you listening to his voice. And maybe you're here today and you've been a believer for a long time. You believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but maybe you've gotten off track. The past 18 months haven't been the most peaceful months in humanity's history. Maybe you just, you've done your own way, you've done your own thing. I want you to know today that God is not mad at you. He is not upset with you. He just wants a relationship with you.
a real one. And maybe you need to rekindle that today. Maybe you're here and this Christian Jesus talk is a little foreign to you. Maybe you've never made the decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. I wanna give every soul, every person in this room the opportunity to make a decision for Jesus today. We've all fallen short of a standard that God has put in his word for us. And so that's why we need a savior to save us from our sin. There's a man named Jesus who paid for our sin. He died on a cross, he was buried, he was raised again. And he did this for you. If you're here today, you wanna rededicate your life or you wanna give your life to Jesus for the very first time, I'm not gonna call you down to the front, I'm not gonna embarrass you. No one looking around. If that's you, would you raise your hand this morning so I could pray for you saying, look, I know I've been off. I see you, thank you. I know I need a savior to save me from my sin. Thank you, I see you. I see you. Look, if you're a believer in the house, this time is for you as well to listen, to lean into the Lord. But if you just raise your hand, the word says that we, we, when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that he is Lord, then we are saved. So raising your hand does not get you saved, but you believing in your heart does. So right now you can say a prayer just like this, God, I need you. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm a sinner. And so I say thank you for saving me from my sin. I say thank you for the cross. Holy Spirit, would you lead me and guide me? Would you be my best friend? Would you help me to walk every day in wisdom and not in the way of foolishness? Would you help me to have friends that lead me in the way of wisdom and not foolishness? Help me to not be influenced by the culture or by the world, but help me to be an influencer in the culture and world. Help me to be rooted and planted in a local church. I thank you for that, Jesus. And God, I thank you for every soul that is in this room. And as we honor the 4th of July in this country and freedom, God, we honor you. Knowing that there is none like the freedom that we have from our sin when we believe in you. There is none like the freedom that we have from our chains and our bondage when we believe in you and place our hope in you and our trust in you. And so God, we give you glory today. We give you praise today. You're the only one that's worthy. You're the only one that's good. So God, we say we love you and we thank you. And we give you praise in this house. It's in Jesus' name that I pray and the church said this morning, amen.